All right, everybody. Welcome back in. It is finally, finally get, we get a real Rob and Stu show. Rob, fresh off his well-deserved seventh vacation he's taken this summer. Roberto, it's so good to see you back. You Thank look you. tan, vibrant. Yeah. Um, I mean, just a lot of a lot of good things happening over on that side of the screen. <laughs> well, listen, this is how the other half live. I mean, yeah, now I'm back from North Carolina. I mean, listen, uh, golfing, you know, jet skis, the whole. I mean, it's a summer of rock, so you know, it's just. It is what if somebody's got to do it on the show. You know, somebody's got to somebody's Well, yeah, while you're while you're out gallivanting around the outer banks, uh like it's a fucking Netflix show. Top sale this year. Top sale, not our outer banks. Uh, it, it, I don't know what that means. Whatever you your yacht. About club. two hours south of the outer banks. Nice area. Surf City, top sale, North Carolina. Yeah, your yacht club, whatever you're doing. I'm yeah. back here. We're talking. Sun Belt football win totals. Okay. Hey, hey, listen, I had to spend nine hours driving to North Carolina with my mother in law, my wife, and my sister in law. Okay. So I don't want to hear about how you were tortured or how I was in a bad By the way, can we hours. just say your mother in law is an absolute savage at cards? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. She'll <laughs> take you right out. She took Stu. She took Stu. Absolute for savage. I oh, mean, yeah. Yeah, she's the sure. river just living on it. Mm -hmm. Um, she's in on every hand. She's in on. Oh, every she's playing. Hand. Oh yeah, grandkids. She doesn't care. She's coming right for your throat. <laughs> I love it. I uh, know she's a she's a great woman. Uh, yeah, but no, that's that's. I, I'm happy you got you work hard. Um, thank you. At least you at least somebody hard. Yes. Well, it, it's you make it sound like you work hard. So, I mean, that's what counts. <laughs> yeah, listen. Yeah. Well, coming up on the show, we're going to get into it, obviously, because uh, there's a couple things, a couple bones we need to pick here. Uh, and I want to get your thoughts on coming up. Also, Nick Tamro, our good friend, Nick Tamro coming up. He's going to be going over four star Dave Saturday uh and a few other races we'll pick it his brain it has been a brutal saratoga meet this saratoga has been the worst saratoga i've ever experienced ah uh, this we is worked. horrific i mean the between you know they always get bad weather usually with rain but god the amount of races that they've lost off the grass the maple leaf mel it has just been i mean i love saratoga my favorite track outside of Freehold, but uh, I, I is... had. By the way, I didn't talk to you about this because I didn't want to bother you on vacation. I had Maple Leaf Mill singly. <sighs> mm. So tough scenes, you know. I had actually... <laughs> it really is tough, tough scenes. scenes. I, I mean, that that that's when you need to walk away. Um, I got yeah, it, and what's even worse is I let out an audible son of a and. My, I, you know, I was it was weird the, the way it happened. It was yeah. so strange the way it happened. It was like you almost saw her take that step and you thought she was going to be able to regroup. And then I was like, nope, that's it. Done. Um, and she went ass over tea kettle there. Yeah, that was that was scary. Um, yeah, and it was actually funny. Saturday we were driving back home and, you know, we had got about five hours. We were about six hours into the ride. And Did you listen driving. to the Robin Stu show? 
<laughs> yeah, everybody listening. We're driving past the exit for Delaware Park. And my mother-in-law's like, oh, I, I didn't even know they had this uh, casino. We've never been here. And my wife's like, you know, I wouldn't mind going in. I'm driving. I swear <laughs> to God, I don't even say anything. I just hit the fucking exit and go to the turn, spin around. And they're like, oh, my God, we're going. We're going. And I was like, you're goddamn right we're going. Yeah. this car ride. And I walked right in, got myself a program, a nice beer. And I'm like, hour and a half. And then we're back on the road. <laughs> got there in time for the maple leaf mail race watch that disaster watch the last two from delaware and then i made a huge bet on web slinger i said it saturday morning it was my best bet of the day and Javier, how, how he and, doesn't get up and win that race is just uh, you, you knew it in the middle of the lane as soon as he didn't go by i knew when he went wide i said this is going to be bad because now chad's horse is going to get game fighting them and you know when you have the outside horse and they don't go by like that on the outside. Uh, you know the inside is going to come back and game them out. And that's what happened. I mean, that's two starts in a row. He's gotten some bad rides. So. Oh. I wanted to pick your brain. It's something we haven't addressed. By the way, can I just get props? We had uh, Spencer McLaughlin. McLaughlin. He corrected us. Uh, on the show a couple episodes back, and he got upset and feisty with me because I said, oh, Peck Paul's dead. Oh, I knew right. this was coming. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I go, Peck Paul's I, I knew dead. this was coming. Yeah. Right? Like, we, we yeah, can listen, say the it's... poor guy, the poor guy's trying to stage off you Big Ten savages. And, you know. Yeah, Peck Paul's dead. I called it right then. <clears throat> I was right. Proved right. Um, I can't wait for Washington versus Northwestern. I mean, what a game. That's the game we all want to see. The, the purple people eaters. I, I mean, how are you going to tell the two Indi teams apart? Indiana versus Oregon. I mean, does it get better? Listen, Rutgers, Oregon from Piscataway on Saturday. Your thoughts? Oh, I mean, full state. Will Oregon even show up? I doubt it. You, you better get season tickets now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh I tell you, this this whole thing, I mean, what's your take on it? You know, it's interesting. I, I even heard Chip Kelly give something, and I, I don't know if it's going to turn to like this, but it's almost like a point of, is there even going to be big conferences in five or six years? Like, are all these teams just basically going to be independent and it's the best of the last 12 to 14 teams? And I don't know, man. College football is really headed for – these are just strange times. It's, it, it's becoming more and more the NFL. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I'm so here's here's the two things that are really weird to me that I don't think anybody's kind of figured out. There is a push I know in Congress to try and regulate it to some degree, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think there is a push to do that. Also with that, and something nobody's ever talking about, is this TV, the TV money. So like everybody says, well, TV's running college football, but take a look at what the Pac-12 got offered. No major network was offering them the money. It was Apple TV, which is got uh, noon baseball games with the worst announcing crew I've ever seen in my life. 
and then pretty horrific, pretty horrific. MLS league. Yeah, it's 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 not. And it, they were offering the Pac-12 20 million, whereas at other teams, the ACC, for instance, all the teams are making 30 plus. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the Big Ten. Big, you're talking about 30 million dollar deficits compared to a Big Ten team. Now mm-hmm. for Oregon, that doesn't hurt so much. For Seattle, for Washington, that doesn't hurt so much. When you look at a Colorado, it does. Yeah, because they don't have the donors, so they want to leave. Or Arizona. Yeah, but they have neon. They had they have Deion Sanders. They. Yeah, but they don't have the donors historically. No. Um. I mean, Oregon is funded by Phil Knight, so I mean, what they'll always be fine. Isn't it funny when we had that interview? I asked him. I said. But what if Oregon and them got offered? And he's like, oh, they'd go in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. Later. Done deal. They offered and they're like, we're gone. And I think the TV deals are interesting because cable is being cut. And cable viewership is going down. Money's going away from cable. Mm-hmm. And you, but you see like Peacock, Peacock's running huge losses. Netflix is still making money, but still not making money. Uh, H- Max, what the new HBO is, is still struggling. Apple is struggling. Streaming's not doing well. No, cable's, because everybody can pirate the streaming. Yeah, and cable's not doing well. And so, unless you're a Mongo like me who still pays, so you can watch the, you know, the Phillies and all the, you know, you get all the Philly sports. I where I am. Oh, don't worry, get, we're getting to the Phillies. Don't all Philly, worry. I get all New York. So you know, but it, but that's but that's the issue is that a lot of these conferences, they're not worth that kind of money. These schools are not worth that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Where's what's the Bobcat loves bringing this up? What's the biggest market for college football? Birmingham. That's the biggest television market for yeah. football. I hate to say it, but the SEC, it it really, I mean, the SEC is just different. But the here. SEC folks down south, they watch Big Ten games. They watch West Coast games. They watch they watch That's college true. football. That's true. And you know, I think. Where it's left at, you look at Stanford and Cal, and it's like, I they don't belong in the ACC. They don't. Well, let, let's let it be known ACC. too. You're a known Pac-12 hater. Oh, it's I mean, football. You you might have had your hand in this debacle. And yeah. any Pac-12 I, fans out there, send your hate mail to Sue. Sue hates the Pac-12. Did I make a phone call? I don't know. <laughs> I forget. Check the call out. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you think, do you think the Pac-12 is going to be around? What do you think the end game is here? I think the end game is honestly, I could even see in a few years, the ACC folding as weird as that sound. I think you're going to have two major conferences in college football. I mean, you already do. It's the SEC and the big 10. The big 10 isn't on the SEC's level right now. Money wise, it probably is. Um, I just think they have a touch different of players in the SEC. Um, and I'm not saying that because uh, my favorite football team, who I die for, um, drafts all players now from the SEC. But it, it just is. I mean, you see it every you see it every Sunday in the NFL. You see it on Saturdays. It's a different thing in that SEC. But the Big Ten isn't far behind. 
um, especially Scarlet Knights um, winning the Big Ten this year. Have that outright. I don't want to give away my preview, but um, uh, fair enough. No, it's, I know. I, I, know I honestly away. think. Do you ever think? And I thought about this. Do you think college football is going to start losing fans? I mean, it's one of the. What is it? No, it's got to be one of no. the top three sports. Do you think they'll lose fans the way this is going? I don't think so. But no, I think. If you're a college football fan, you're going to still love college football. However, yeah. um, there is a real possibility that this ends up hurting the NFL, right? I, How I think so? Oh, because of the money they're getting? Yeah, because the, the money they're getting, I think eventually what you're going to see is a lot of t- Title IX stuff happen and really crush some of these schools that can't afford – to do some of these other sports. Um, you know, I think it calls in the issue, like even for the Big Ten, is field hockey going to go from an away game in Bloomington to Eugene? Yeah. And, and, and honestly, I, I'm sorry, but nobody cares about those other sports. And Anybody cares about is football. But still, but still that's an ex- – so – a lot of these athletic departments, right? You got to now pay for the entire baseball team to fly out to Seattle, yeah, and back. Now you got to pay for the bas- basketball. Will be fine. Football will be fine. Baseball, uh, hockey, uh, you name it, wrestling, etc. Yeah, all those other sports are going to take a lot more money in from the athletic department. So athletic department is going to have less money. They're going to be hitting donors up. Not every school has a donor base. I could see it being a real hit to the athletic departments. And here's the other thing. People forget this. Back in the mid-90s, Texas and Michigan tried to break away from the NCAA to create a super conference. Did they really? Yes. I Hmm. think there it is very plausible that you get that you get 20 30 teams that just go hey we can make a deal together and we'll sell and we'll get the highest possible television rights contract oh yeah look at yeah absolutely that's and, a great point and we'll just go off of that we'll make how about the top teams. 10 teams how about the top 10 teams that are just there every year now i mean you got your alabamas your Ohio States, your Georgias, uh, I'll, you know, I hate to say it, you have to throw Michigan in there right now. I mean, you know, and what are these schools? The TCU pops in every once in a while. I, you, you, you can throw Michigan in now, but I heard that because of their support for Russia and possible war crimes in Ukraine, they might not. I'm going to ask Phil Steele about it next week when he's on the show. He may know something about that. It, I've, I've heard the yeah. same thing. I've heard the same thing. Yeah, same thing. Um, we'll get Phil's opinion on possible war crimes by Jim Harbaugh in Ukraine. I, I'm not saying it. it it's on X. Yeah, I, you know, listen. People are saying it. Um, people, <laughs> it's out there. It's out there for sure. Yeah. Uh, but no, like. I'll tell you, when you when you start peeling back the onion, yeah, we're gonna go to a true NFL model if it keeps on the same track it is. And I'm not I'm not sure it will. Um I think there's gonna be some interjection from the government and 
you know, hey, the United States government is here. They are your friend. They're here to help. Well, are they ever going to regulate this NIL and are they going to stop leaving it from state to state? Because you see what a lot of these schools, nobody can afford half of these kids. The only kids that can afford them are the ones that were already paying them before before it was legal. I mean, well, yeah, just... that's another you look at some of the craziness going on with NIL right now. It's it's out of this world. By the way. You were 100% right. I checked out the Manziel documentary. Unfortunately, I started it at like 10 o'clock last night, and I mm -hmm. was up till midnight watching it. Um, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Amazing. I mean, if, if you're a college football mongo like us, I mean, this guy took college football by storm. Whether you hate him or whether you, you know, it, like, you know, it's just, come on, this guy took over. I mean, yeah, he had Mike Evans. They kind of hit it at the right time with Kingsbury's offense and the SEC. You really hadn't seen an offense like that in the SEC. But, I mean, he was lightning in a bottle, man. I, I never forget that draft. I mean, that was that was huge surrounding him. I mean, he was such By a By the way, you know player. what's funny? Last week, too, I saw somebody reposted on my Twitter timeline that uh, that Merrill Hodge thing where he's like, Jadavion. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. You can't draft Menzel in the first round, the second round, the third round. He's like a fourth, fifth round project, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And you know that draft bus. Same thing with Tebow. Same thing with quarterbacks. You've seen the Blake Bortles. Um, what was the kid from Florida State that went real high to Buffalo? EJ Manuel. Yeah. I mean, people get crazy around this draft time. I mean, you know, you know what's amazing to me. Okay, you know, as a fan and as somebody who follows the sport religiously, you always think these franchises are so smart, right? People are paid millions of dollars, these general managers, these coaches. It's it's such a big production, the NFL. And you see a story like that where they had the fourth-string quarterback pissing for him. Nobody could figure out the kid was partying like this. Nobody could figure out when they brought him in a meeting room that he can't read a playbook. He doesn't understand. I mean, I, I just think sometimes – People get caught up in, in the player, in the in his case. But the amazing part is, I mean, all these people getting paid millions of dollars and nobody paid attention to that. Because if Cleveland didn't take them, there was going to be another team that took them at late in the first round, maybe second. But somebody was going to step in there and take them. Well, you know, you, you forget about how how much of a dynamic playmaker he was. And this was before, I, I don't know, somewhere in the last 10 years in the NFL that like the lollipop guild, like Mike Lombardi, like our guy always talks about like 5'11 mm -hmm. quarterbacks, they like, it doesn't work. Yeah. It does not work. I, and I think he was like the first of that first group of like, okay, well, we're going to draft the 5'11 guy because he can move around. Yeah, I mean, I think I think at best teams thought maybe he could be a flutie, the way he ran around like that, the way with his arm, and you know he was a playmaker, and that's that's one of the first times I really remember the RPO coming big time into the NFL. You know, Robert Griffin had done it two years earlier. He was one of the first ones to really make it work in the NFL, and he thought maybe with Manziel, but even at his size, he just couldn't hold up. He just didn't. You know, obviously, you see there, he had no thing to play in the NFL. He had no drive, no determination. And, you know, he's one of the first guys, too, 
Twitter really started to explode, I think, around that 2012, 2013 time when it really started to get popular. I feel like he was one of the first athletes that was like huge on there, you know, as like a he was with a LeBron James as far as popularity. And I mean, he, you could tell he just fell in love with that lifestyle. I mean, he's best friends with Drake. He's partying here, partying there. And, you know, he didn't want to stop the party. So, you know, yeah, yeah, the money, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. that was huge. I do. I, I will say this. I wouldn't mind having a Johnny Manziel helmet just because he is so, he, he was so amazing and fun to watch. He was polarizing. Time. I mean, he really was. He, I comes, mean, the way out, he, ran he comes out here to Dulles. We, by the way, one of these days, we, me and you need to go to the convention center off season. One of the days they have a whole bunch of Eagles down here. Yeah. We need to go. Absolutely. Um, real quick, we got Nikki, Nikki the boss coming up. You're welcome for Michael Lorenzen. You're welcome. <laughs> Am I going to get a thank you finally? Yeah, my, this was coming. Yeah, yeah, Michael Lorenzen. Uh, what a wild game that was last night. You know, you're thinking, I'm thinking Phillies Nationals in August. How are the Phillies going to screw this up tonight? and not be able to beat this bad team because that's what they love to do. And uh, that's what's the weirdest thing about baseball. Anytime you turn baseball on, you turn it on the radio, you turn it on TV, you might see the wildest stuff. I mean, they had a kid called up last night that spent eight years in the minors. He had gotten called up one other time, and they found a blood clot in his arm. First uh, first at bat, he hits a home run. His father's crying his eyes out in the stands. I mean, that was a wild night, man. I mean. You know, the Phillies don't have a lot of good history, obviously, um, being around that long with only two World Series. But um, you guys did have Lenny Dykstra. So that's. Some yeah, great well, listen, that's true. Yeah, we've had some characters, John Crook. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, that was amazing last night, man. I mean, listen, the no hitters have been dumbed down so much in sports. I mean, they're really not that they're not rare anymore to see. Um, the rarest thing, honestly, was they let him throw 124 pitches. So everybody today's like, um, he'll probably come back and get tattooed in his next start. But listen, I, I love them letting him go out there and throw the game. What the hell, man? 124, let him go. See if he can get it. He got it. I mean, I don't know. It's always cool to see a no hitter. I mean, it's, you know, no big deal. But I mean, it was fun. It was, it was, I, it was cool. To see. Before we move on to Nick. I saw the wildest baseball set I've ever seen. So the high school that Lorenzen went to. Yes. Walter Johnson went there. Walter Johnson threw a no hitter and two other pitchers threw no hitters. Wow. Where was the from high, that school? high school? Fullerton high school. I think it's in, in where I want to say California, maybe. I don't oh, know. wow. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Now did he come up with the reds or the tigers, the reds, right? The Reds, and then he went to the A's. Oh, okay. Right, he went to the A's, and Dabrowski knows. Dabrowski knows him from the the Tigers. No, no, we signed him this year. I thought he played with. Oh, maybe he played with Castellanos in Cincinnati. So the apparently Tigers Castellanos been, said the he Tigers, was a good fit. The Tigers have been on a on a streak of signing one-year pitchers and hope they're good. Yeah, Phillies too. Yeah, Phillies too. But 
we got more baseball stuff to talk about with Nick Tamara on the other side. Also, some horses running in circles coming up next week. More baseball, Chad. We got Connor Newcomb, Lockdown O's. Uh, he, people love him on the show. Always does big ratings. People love talking the O's and that that horrific situation with uh, their announcer. What oh, the hell was that? Dude, it, it, the thing that cracked me up was uh, – the uh, somebody on Twitter was like took a picture of like North Korean news and it's like hi we're this is live on Madison <laughs> from Baltimore <laughs> Orioles looking to win their 273rd straight game today you know you fucked up when the internet all agrees the internet doesn't agree on Ever. anything you could just type in potato salad on Twitter and he's have... supposed to be back he's supposed to be back tomorrow that that is amazing. I, I don't know much about that family that owns them, but boy, hearing the fans and a lot of dude, and they got TV roasted people. by every announced team. Every. Everybody took them to task. Um, the Rays announcer was he? He even said he's like, oh yeah, you know the Rays coming off that uh, tough loss to the Orioles, who have won two hundred and seventy three straight games. Uh, <laughs> oh, phenomenal! <laughs> That's great um that's great yeah sometimes the internet wins oh real quick barstool Portland yeah that's gets wild, it back right? for a dollar i think it fits with their thing because i don't know to me their gambling content had followed it just dropped off the face of the earth in my opinion um but i feel like they're back i couldn't the right even space. bro i couldn't even log into barstool anymore so it's like they stopped they stopped taking stuff so i'm like I, i'm moving on i'm definitely not betting with espn whatever i think they're back to doing what they do best you know yes. they're guys normal guys that just they're into gambling they're into sports i don't know like the funny and I've seen a lot of people say oh well you know they're they're gonna run out of money portnoy has a huge chunk of high noon he's not worried about money he just bought a horse for six hundred fifty thousand. he ain't worried yeah. about money no he is not worried about money Barstool is back is the name of the horse. I love it. Yeah. yeah I think it was a Philly, right? Uh, I think maybe, yeah. I wonder who he gave it to train, if he's giving it to Clement or he'll give it to Chad. Uh, that's interesting. Depends on if it's a turf horse. Yeah, I don't know if it was a turf horse. I got to see who it was out of. Yeah. Uh, coming up uh, after this break, Nick Tamro next week. Locked on nose, like I said. Phil Steele with the Big Ten preview. Uh, we're coming locked and loaded next week. Roberto may not be here next week because he's. Some of us have to work, unfortunately. Yeah, that well, that's a nice. I got to pay for these vacations. You know, they're not cheap. <laughs> no, when you stop at Delaware Park halfway through, yeah. Especially when you get twenty. Oh, I had the DGen shakes from not gambling. Actually. My wife's cousin, Ryan, gave me a great bet on the way down. And I was five minutes from entering North Carolina on that Saturday. And I said, you know something? I'm going to put this UFC bet in. Son of a bitch, he hit it for a grand. I hit it for 500 on a $25 bet. But that was nice. Shout out to him. But um, hey, Shout out, uh, Ryan. I, I took the Pollock. I went with my heritage and <laughs> tough scenes. split decision. The closest one. I had everything else, but good. Shout out to Ryan. He he he's a nice capper. Anyways, 
We're going to come back right after this short break and a word from our friend CVD, Chris Van Dyne. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Van Dyne from North Coast Sports. You'll hear me here every week during football season with my main man, Stu, from the StuCast. And just want to let everyone know we got a lot going on at North Coast. We got Power Sweep coming up. Going to be releasing that at the end of August. And get on board for Power Sweep at ncsports.com. Definitely check out our podcast on ncsports.com. And like I said, you'll hear me every week giving out some of the best handicapping picks that you will get in the industry uh, with Stu and Bobcat every week here, as well as at North Coast Sports, ncsports.com. And we're looking forward to football season. All right, we're back here on the Robin Stu Show with our guy, our man, at NTAM1215, Nick freaking tamro nicky the boss how are you brother i'm doing great my friend good to be with you guys it's good to it's good to see you it's always good to talk to you um two things before we even start talking about horses uh a craig molkowski is not okay with the kyle tucker grand slam um <laughs> he wants to fight you and uh after you traded and got verlander back if he goes in anything other than a tiger hat in the Cooperstown, I'm going to fight you. So just starting that off, if you want to make some phone calls after this show, but just giving you a heads up and uh, welcome back. Hey, glad to be back. I'll admit that I, uh, I texted Craig Tuesday night and I said, I bet I enjoyed that a lot more than you did. <laughs> and, and he replied and said, I hadn't watched, but I saw the score. And right after I saw this, so figured out what it was pretty quickly, but yeah, no, I, we were watching early on and, and they were down six, two. And I, I said to my wife, so I'm going to go in and watch the rest of the game. I don't think they'll win, but I think it's going to be worth watching. And so, you know, I'll admit I'd watched very little Orioles baseball and they're never on national TV. And, but I had obviously seen how well they were doing. And, you know, I know about like Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson and, and Westberg and stuff and the pitching staff and the trade, really the trade they made, but I mean, the thing we all knew about the Orioles was that they suspended their announcer, right? Yeah. That was, that was what was in the news. That was what, that was what the team is known for in 2023. So yeah, it was a good, uh, good couple of games to kick off the series and obviously wish the Astros had swept them, but uh, no That's shame. That's impossible. In you can't sweep a rush. It's never been swept in Adley Rutschman's career. It's amazing, huh? It, it's this team is so for, it, it's so nice. I get mass and, and their pitching the stinks. That that's the part that's remarkable. Their pitching is not good. No, no, it's by it's by hook and by crook. They just get. Michael Gibson's get one of their starters. Going. I mean, yeah. And the scary like part about like the Astros. Race. The scary part about the Astros, they just have those that look of that veteran team that like once July the All Star break hits, here we go. We're just going to take all. You know what I mean? They just look like they they added Verlander again. I mean, it's just. They look like they're, you know, getting ready again for another World Series run. Well, yeah, I mean, look, it's been the golden age of Astros baseball now for years, and so I'm going to enjoy it as long as I possibly can. But mm -hmm. they know how to win, you know, and th and that's exactly. a that's a really huge factor. And 
you know, they would be a big problem if they're a wild card for a team that they have to go play. First of all, they've been a significantly better road team this year than home team, Mm -hmm. which that's been the case in the past too. And then in 2017, they lost, you know, they lost one playoff game at home. So Mm -hmm. they were a better road team during the regular season, which is why the trash can stuff is, you know, deserves an asterisk as well. But um, anyway, not that we'll get into that, but um, yeah, I mean, they, you know, the other thing about the Astros too, and nobody out there wants me to go on and on about the Astros America's team, but um, the, is that, you know, Altuve and, and Jordan have played like 25 games in the, in mm-hmm. the same lineup and they are down three starters in the rotation. And um, Bregman is barely hitting 250. Pena is barely hitting 240. And Jose Abreu is the biggest waste of money I've ever seen. So, I mean, their lineup is kind of a mess. It's they're finally healthy. They're finally getting their act together. Obviously, bringing Verlander back, um, you know, was 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 great. They had to pay a pretty steep price, but they paid it in bodies. They're not picking up as much of his contract. So that, you know, that helps a little bit. So, so Stu, what does it take for him to don an Astros cap in, uh, in Cooperstown? One more trophy or is it just never, never? He's going in as an Astro. No doubt about it. How dare you? He's going in as an Astro. No doubt about it. He is a tiger. (laughs) Uh, No, I think, I think it's number of games played. And he'll have the option. Okay, <clears throat> I think that's what it is. I, I don't. Yeah, it, I mean the better the better question, and it, it's probably been too long since I asked you this, but how the hell did a team with him and David Price at his prime and Max Scherzer get swept in the World Series? <sighs> Tough scenes. Uh, how did the Houston Cougars uh, not make the? <laughs> national championship anyway how uh, do you let shane victorino how do you let shane victorino hit a grand slam off you in boston that that's tough all right the grade two saratoga special folks uh six and a half furlongs on the dirt um you guys pretend to know something about horse racing nick tamro i'll let you lead it off uh reminiscent of what's that stake race a few weeks ago like there was that clear it might have been we were talking you remember what i'm talking about where it was just the buy the the horse went off like one to two had like a 50 point buyer edge and ended up losing at saratoga yes it was a two-year-old stakes race earlier jim dandy maybe that's not a two-year-old race um you're talking about when contessa won opening day with the maiden no, the two-year-old race a few weeks ago where there was a one-to-two shot. Oh, God. I want to even say Asmussen trained him. And he had, like, he had coming in, like, a 92 buyer. The closest in the field had, like, a 63, and the, and the horse ended up losing. He had a huge on-paper pace advantage. I forget the name of the horse. This strikes me as that race, although – you guys don't remember. Oh, the, the Sanford. Race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yes, Sanford, the Sanford broke the slowly. Yeah, yeah. Gold, gold sweep. Something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Broke slowly. Right. Broke slowly on the outside and, and never uh never was able to run down a horse at a huge price. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, one of the things about this race to me that is uh is particularly important to note from a handicapping perspective is that 
you know, and, and I, I kind of opined about this on Twitter a few weeks ago, um, where there's generally not very much good information, but I tried to provide a little, is that you will see horses, especially take a horse like Rhyme Schemes, right? Rhyme Schemes, who who you're sort of alluding to, that's going to be a pretty massive favorite here. He is coming in off a 94 buyer speed figure. Buyer speed figures are final time figures. His final time was exceptionally fast. When you break his race down and you try to figure out how it was run, what you're going to realize is that he got loose on a speed favoring track, setting a very slow pace. And, and, you know, that's why I try to preach to whomever uh, talks to me that wants to learn about the game, learn how races are run. Don't necessarily get fixated on who won, who finished where, you know, anything like that. Even when it comes to speed figures, take them in context. So let me ask you a question. If Rhyme Schemes gets hooked up in a battle on the front end, because I don't think that Wayne Lucas is legging up Jamie Torres so that he can let Rhyme Schemes clear, and he ends up running third and getting a 78 buyer speed figure, did he bounce? or? Did he simply not have circumstances in his favor the way he did last time out? I'm always going to go with the latter because I think that this whole idea of bounce is, is always very circumstantial. And this is a horse who benefited tremendously from circumstance last time and probably won't this time. I mean, any handicap or any better worth their salt is going to bet against rhyme schemes. I mean, they're just, they're not going to buy that this horse is going to run that well again, because they're going to believe that he's not going to get that set of circumstances. Now he, look, he's, he's better than 50% to win this race. But I think from a, from a multi-race perspective, there's so much value in trying to beat him and both Hall and Edified are horses to me that really do have the credentials, uh, even with just one prior start respectively to beat him. That's a great point. I, I think a lot of two-year-olds too, and a lot of horses just in general, a lot of them will get brave on the front end. You know, you'll see a horse set fast fractions. He'll get free. Nobody challenge him. You say, oh, he's going to come back to the field and he just keeps going. You know, somebody horse looks this horse in the eye early on. It could be a different story, especially with these two-year-olds. I mean, especially at a short price up there, you know, he's going to break from the outside. I mean, it, there's a lot of factors against this horse at, at four to five. There really is. I mean, they put the blinkers on last time. Like you said, he got to the front. But to take a short price in a field like this, I mean, and you know the four is going to take money. I mean, Todd, I mean, it's just, you, you know, he's going to take a lot of money in this race, too. Yeah, I mean, maybe I wonder. I mean, David Aragona was aggressive on the morning line. He made rhyme schemes four to five, and and I mean, look, I I think he'll be a big favorite. I just wonder, you know, if you if you draw a line through Norm Cassie's name, and not that you would need to, because Norm is a terrific trainer, and you wrote in, you know, Pletcher Brown, Asmussen, uh, something like that. Probably one to two. He'd probably be two to five. Mm, yeah. Right. So you know, it's it's one of those situations where you know you might have people out there who actually think that wagering wise they could benefit from norm training this horse and and he's very talented i'm really excited to see where he stacks up roberto what crazy ass horse other than the four <laughs> and the five are you picking now horse i'm going to use underneath okay i'm going to make a you know me i'll have to always make a small one bet okay i have no stats to back this up just that i'm an absolutely sick degenerate horse player that loves the game and everything like that I always love when these golf stream horses come to Saratoga. And I just kind of like this one lasso underneath at a huge price. Now, see, 
Nick, what is your opinion when they run such a low buyer like that, a 33? I mean, you're not getting the best two-year-olds, obviously, at Golfstream in June. So, I, I'm, you know, I didn't go back and, and look at all the horses in that race, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't that great. It was a slow final time. But, uh, you know, I, I he's not going to take, obviously, a lot of money with a low buyer like that. But I like when a two-year-old shows they can close the move that he made. And I love the Golfstream horses when they come to Saratoga. Yeah, I mean, look, it kind of reminds you back in the day of when uh, when you'd have Calder shippers coming up. And, you know, I remember the year that a fleet Alex won the I think it was this race, actually. I think it was the Saratoga special or it may have it may have actually been the year that they ran the hopeful earlier. And he ran down a horse that had come up from Gulf from a Calder. And, yes. um, you know, one of the advantages that they had that time of year was that, you know, training down there in that steam bath. And coming up to Saratoga, where the weather was a lot cooler and, and you know, the temperature is much more mild, it really gave him a huge edge. So, um, you know, I, I would say that of buyer speed figures, I'm never going to be uh, more dismissive of them than when it is with a lightly raced two-year-old. Mm -hmm. So to put this this particular race in perspective, uh, two of the runbacks came back and improved. One improved from a nine to a 48 one of them improved from a 24 to a 46. One of them improved and won his next start from a 24 to a 38, which would underscore the fact that it wasn't a particularly good race. But, you know, if that 33 was a 53 or a 50, like it probably could have been, um, then, then you know, he wouldn't be quite as big a price. The other thing to consider, uh, and being a Time Form US user, uh, that was an extremely fast pace, according to Craig. So mm -hmm. it's no surprise that um, that those horses came apart. Yeah. And I mean, I can tell you from following Gulfstream, probably more than one should, that uh, Juan Alvarado is terrific. He's a very, very good trainer with two-year-olds, you know, just in the short stats in the daily racing form with two-year-olds over the last couple of years. He's 24% with a 232 ROI. I mean, I would hazard a guess that in the last five years, he's probably got a positive ROI with two-year-olds. Um, not quite, but, um, if you narrow it down to dirt, it's probably a little bit better. So no, he's a totally competent trainer. This feels like a horse that, that really is worth uh, using underneath for sure. What's your thoughts on the three? What's your thoughts on a trainer change when they go to, you know, obviously a Brendan Walsh, they watch the race, you know, whether he has an agent that buys them, whether he was watching them, whatever, when they make a trainer change like that. Is that something that attracts you that they go in and buy them like that, you know, at Ellis or. Yeah. I mean, so they bought this horse for 95,000 at a horses of racing age sale. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that just feels like a, a total, a total bargain basement buy. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it feels like a, he feels like a horse that the connect, the prior connections were probably just saying, you know, we don't really think he's much. He's a ransom the moon. We're probably going to end up running him for 50 in the next couple of years anyway. So let's take what we can get. And the fact that they didn't RNA him for a number as low as 95 is probably not a great sign. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's, he's probably up against it. He's, he's going to be, he's going to be tough to endorse. Um, I like Brendan Walsh a lot. I think he's, I think he is probably the most underrated trainer in the game. And I hope that with the year that pretty mischievous is having that, you know, he'll get into the conversation a little bit more, but you know, he's really a guy that deserves some more blue chip type horses. I just think this one might be a little outclassed. Yeah. The Asmussen horse is a little bit interesting too. I mean, 
I, I could be wrong, but I thought they had a stat on him with two-year-olds at Saratoga where when they're coming off a maiden victory and going into a stakes race, his record was pretty bad. It was – if they had a third start, their third start, they were usually a lot better. I, I don't have any kind of thing to back that up, but I don't know. That, that horse to me – I was pretty impressed though with his maiden race. I, I thought that was a nice mile he went. Six it was a good it was a good effort for sure. Yeah. I, I think it's it's definitely one that he could kind of improve on. Um I th I think the, the problem in that category for Asmussen is that his he has three winners in that particular category, but they've been three to five even money and three to one. Mm -hmm. The three to one was Jackie's Warrior, who actually was was not favored and his stablemate, uh Casadero was. So, right. you know, it's it, generally with these kind of horses, they're going to be shorter prices. But, yeah, he was a really solid winner. He actually rallied a little bit into a moderate pace at Ellis. There's been a next out winner already. There was a colt named Seize the Gray who came back on Jim Dandy Day and won at Saratoga, improved his buyer speed figure by 43 points. The third place finisher, Django, basically came back and ran the same race speed figure wise. Uh, Uno Moss Bourbon came back and improved nine points. So, I mean, it, it, it's a race that is at least held up. You know, mm -hmm. it's not one that you're saying, oh, those horses were just absolutely nothing. So now on the other hand, one of the horses that's going to be bet that we haven't talked about is Hall. And, you know, two of the runbacks for, from Hall's debut, Falfurius and, uh, and Devil's Playground have both come back and run quite poorly. So that's got to be a little bit of a concern. First trumpet came out of it and ran third today was really never much of a factor. So, um, I mean, I think as a rule, the two-year-olds this time of year are going to be better in Kentucky than they are in New York. It's just, you know, it's one of those situations where there's a lot of availability for two-year-old races at Churchill and then Ellis and um, the racing in New York really doesn't heat up for two-year-olds until Saratoga. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's a factor I think that I would keep in mind. All right, let's move on to the four-star Dave. One mile on the green stuff. And uh, to my eyes, Nick, I, I, look, I, I do like another horse later in the card named Secretariat. I like Cass Creed here. Your thoughts? Um, So, you know, I think that, and and he took, I mean, I, I read this, this subject to more scrutiny than anybody in the game. He also wins more meaningful races than anybody I'm going to bet that he learned his lesson last time. And I'm going to think that he'll be in front of Casa Creed in after a half mile. Now this race has, um, it, it essentially has four horses who are hustled to run against Emmanuel Casa Creed and uh, Annapolis because um, so high and, um, and my sea cottage really don't have any business being in here. I suppose my sea cottage is in there to set the table for ice chocolate and um, and to a lesser extent, full screen. I don't really think full screen can win. So, um, you know, with that said, it will set the table nicely for Annapolis and Casa Creed both. And I think Annapolis is not only going to go off favored, I think he's going to win. I've never been a huge Annapolis fan, but I think that if, and I don't think the public is going to let him go as the second choice. He's such an immensely popular horse. I mean, he was four to five to Casa Creed's two to one last time. If he's the second choice in this race, especially if he's as high as eight or nine to five, I actually think he might be a good bet. I I, I don't think he'll lose. Roberto. I, I mean, Nick's not going to be allowed to call into Francesa ever again. Uh, yeah, right? no, he's banned. No, that's, that's over. You, yeah. you forget about talking to Mike Francesa. Okay. <laughs> You're done. 
Roberto, biggest, you gonna be calling in? The biggest interesting, the most interesting thing to me in this race is going to be the setup, right? So my cottage C, or I'm sorry, my C cottage is going to go right out to the lead. Now, with Jose getting on Emmanuel, I, I thought his run last time, I bet him into poker. I thought he raced tremendous that day. Do you see him sending this horse from the rail? Because I do. I, I think he gets right out there. I think he sits right off the three. I think it's possible. Um, the fact that he's run his best races when he's been, at least lately, when he's been taken back a little bit would lead me to believe that that's what they want to do. Yeah. But, um, but I do, you know, the advantage that he could potentially have, and we've we've had no turf races this week, but historically, when the rail comes down on the inner turf, the rail is huge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he might just race on the quickest paths on the inside the whole way around there. But, you know, I think if you... If you ask Todd ahead of time what he's expecting, I'm thinking he's expecting them to be single file with Annapolis right in front of Emmanuel. Yeah. I, that that That's my biggest thing in this race. I I really like Emmanuel, but the thing is, I, I really like to see him close to the lead. He gets beat, he gets beat. But I think with that rail advantage in a shorter field like this, going a mile, I, I think that's his advantage to, you know, try to get a jump on Annapolis and Casa Creed. I don't know. But like you said, his best running style lately has been from behind. So maybe I'm totally wrong. And, you know, he's sitting sixth on the rail going to the half. And, you know, they get to the half in 51 or 52, and I could just rip up my tickets. Um, the race will Don't be worry. Over. You're, you're going to be ripping them up well before that. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> um, I was up at Saratoga for uh, Casa Creed, you know, that last race. I have to say, man, he was really impressive that day. I mean, he was just. Man, his stride, it was just it was just so easy for him. I mean, I you know, like I said, it was a little bit of like you said, you're right. It was a little bit of a not so great ride from Irad on Annapolis, but man, Casa Creed was impressive that day. Yeah, I mean Saya's really Saya's really stole Irad's lunch money that day. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. he he really rode Casa Creed extremely well. And I mean Casa Creed's a super cool horse. He's an easy horse to root for. Obviously, his uh the other part of his ownership, Lee Einsiedler, is very easy to root for. Um, but, you know, the and, and the funny thing is, it seems like he can only run a mile at Saratoga. Every mm -hmm. time they run him a mile anywhere else, he's been totally ineffective. I mean, I do think he could probably be effective at a mile at a place like Belmont. But, you know, we're not going to be we're not going to be running at Belmont this fall. And obviously the Breeders' Cup is at Santa Anita and the sprint is five furlongs, which is just a non-starter for him. So. You know, this is another opportunity to bag a grade one. He's still an intact seven-year-old. And um, you'd like to think that maybe, you know, turf stallions don't really do much for the breeding market. But you'd like to think that maybe some somebody out there would take a shot with him because uh, he sure has been sure has been uh, easy to root for. And he actually, he wasn't a half bad dirt horse to begin his career. So um, it's, it's, you know, it's, he's a horse with some versatility. Nick, big card on Saturday. What are some of the other spots outside? We talked to graded stakes, obviously. What are some of the other spots you're keying in? Um, you know, I think there's a few horses that are interesting on the card. The uh, the 10th race that's actually right after the four-star Dave is one that I've kind of got a little bit of an eye on. I, I'm interested in the new Bill Mott horse, Forest City, from the inside. This horse is coming over from Indiana, Horseshoe, Indianapolis. And these connections are the horse, the people that bought horses like Baby Yoda and Alcali and a variety of others over the years that ended up with Bill Mott that did well once they changed barns. And, you know, this is a, a Munnings that was previously trained by Randy Klopp, 
I'm going to guess that Bill Mott's going to move that horse up. And uh, and so I, I think this horse is a little interesting. He's got an inside post going a mile, and that seems to be an advantage right now. So he's one that I wanted to highlight a little bit, and you know maybe he'll have a big big run in him first time for Bill. I, I got a question for you. When you see the works like that, they bought him in June, but he's got two works at Churchill. I, I'm wondering, did Mott have him at Churchill, or was he just bought that recently, where he only has the one work at Saratoga? Yeah, presumably Mott has him at Churchill. Okay. Uh, Adam and Churchill, uh, Mott, Mott keeps a, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a full stable, mm-hmm. but he usually has 15 or 20 horses in Kentucky. And I think I've seen him, I will admit, I've not been doing a lot of Ellis handicapping, but I do think I've, I've seen him have some horses at, uh, at Ellis of late. So okay. yeah, he's usually got a, got a string there and, um, but I, you know, clearly he's only been in, in upstate New York for a week and a half now. That that speaks that speaks good though that if if he did have them there and they're shipping them like that I mean, you know I, I mean why not just race him at Ellis if he's already working there or wait you know I mean that's that's a pretty good sign of going to ship to Saratoga. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. It does seem like he's he's running horses at Ellis somewhat regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. I mean, I, I think that they probably had an eye on uh, this starter allowance condition, given that he broke his maiden for thirty, and um, and you can get into that. And I mean, it's a it's a fifty. 50 starter with a purse of 70, right? So it's a pretty, pretty damn lucrative spot. And I'm going to guess they probably didn't give six figures for this horse. So they could get close to out really in, in one race. No, hell, I mean, even the previous guy, they claimed him for 50 out of a meeting 15 at Turfway. I mean, yeah, that was a nice score for them. That was good. Worked out well. Yeah, worked out well for both. Of course, I'm a little interested in on the card in the sixth race. Um, I was up at the spot. There was a lot of buzz on that July 15th day about this Island Rose. He's going to be the eight Saturdays, 10 to one morning line. They bet him down to three to one in that race. Really didn't get off to a great start. They're going to put the blinkers on now. He goes to McCarthy. Uh, Barker actually has a really good uh, thing with McCarthy. They hit a 24% when he uses them. Uh, I like this horse second start out. I'm hoping I can get around 10 to one. Yeah. I like that horse in the debut and he actually got some, took some money early. She did before. Yeah. Uh, yeah before she, she went off the seven to two. Um, yeah. I, I, I like that. I like that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Charlie Baker fan for sure. Hey, Nick, so far uh, Saratoga has been an absolute bloodbath. Rob, you know, famously one for 39 on the weekend, a horse I gave him. You're welcome. Uh, I'm not much better. How's Saratoga been? And what have you really noticed? Have you had a successful meet? If so, like, you know, uh, what are you doing that we're not doing? Because we're we're missing the boat. Well, I mean, there, you know, Saratoga is the ultimate some days chicken, some days feathers, right? And it's mostly feathers. Um, I've had personally two good days. They were probably better than good by you know by my standards so i'm doing okay um but i fully anticipate that i'll be in the red by the end of the meet uh, because it's a grind and so i won the contest on jim dandy day so i mean that was worth like i guess a couple thousand um nice and then, and then I, I and then white abario was a big that was a big result yeah for that me. yeah i do gotta i i was like I didn't buy it, and I was like, uh, maybe I should bet it just because Nick said it. And I, no, I got to go with Cody's wish. 
been so good to me. And then, uh, yeah, you, uh, I cursed your name a little bit. Then the Verlander trade happened. Yeah, I, I got my flight. I Hey, look, I'll come see you, buddy. Don't you worry. And bring it. Bring it. I, don't, <laughs> yeah, I had a, that horse. I'll tell you what, man, that was a hell of a pick. That What an impressive run from that horse. Jesus, when he came around that turn, I'm like, this thing is sideways. He's got what, so much What did much you see, him. Nick? How, how, I mean, because you, like you said in the write-up, this horse was primed up. Uh, what did you see feeling into it? Yeah, you know, I I was at the Belmont, and so I didn't watch the Met Mile replay other than to hear Tom Durkin's call after the, the racing day itself. And, you know, I've just not seen a lot of races with horses coming out of it. I did watch the replay when Charge It ran in the Suburban, and I just really wasn't paying any attention to White Ibarria. And then early Saturday morning, I had basically finished my picks and and uh, and I was watching the replays again. And and I thought, you know, I'm just I feel like I'm missing something about this race. I've never liked Charge It. I've never been a Zandon fan, not since last year's Triple Crown. And I, I don't fully trust Cody's wish at nine furlongs. And I thought to myself, what am I missing? And I went and watched the Met Mile and I realized, holy shit, why did Barrio got ridden hard out of the gate? got close to that pace, stayed close. And there was a brief moment, a quarter mile or so into that race, where if you pause the replay, what you realize is that White Barrio is a length and a half or so off the leaders. And Cody's Wish and Zandon are at the back of the pack. And they separated themselves, other than Charge It, pretty significantly from everybody else at the finish. And I thought, you know, pace-wise, this horse ran a lot better than I realized. Well, then going around the turn, he gets totally shuffled out ends up going to the outside to try and rally and loses a photo with Zandon at the finish for second, obviously no threat to Cody's wish, but I, you know, I thought, you know, my, my only doubt, and I've never been a big white of Ario fan either. Admittedly, my only concern was that maybe the mile and an eighth is pushing it. But then you look at the race and you realized they're not going to go very fast in here because charge. It doesn't have a lot of gate speed. He only ended up on the lead in the suburban because there was zero speed in there outside of him. And I thought, okay, if Giant Game goes and White Barrio latches onto his outside, he's going to pick up the baton at the quarter pole, and then they've got to run him down. And I'm just going to gamble that Cody's wish is not going to be good enough in a slower-paced race. And not that I'm gloating, because I did, you know, I did give it out the night before, but it was just one of those situations where I was exactly right, and, and I bet it accordingly. Um, and so I was, you know, I was alive very nicely going into it. And I did play a few exactas with him underneath. And um, and I wasn't worried about exactas at the quarter pole. They kind of they hit the backstretch. And I thought to myself, I'm going to be pretty pissed off if he doesn't win. Because now <laughs> sitting outside, they went 24 and change. You could tell they weren't moving at all. I mean, I kind of felt I kind of felt good when Cody's wish stumbled out of the gate. And um, and that helped a lot. And I mean, it was a conflicted feeling because I've always loved Cody's wish. And uh, but still, I mean, I love Benjamin Franklin a little more than Cody's wish. But that's so right. It, that's right. It, it worked, you know, it worked out one of those situations. And so a friend of mine who's a, who's a very, a very dear friend and a very lovely man said that God, God was only going to allow Rick Dutrow to win the Whitney after what had happened Saturday afternoon. <laughs> and I don't make light of what happened with Maple Leaf Mel. My, you know, my condolences and my heart goes out to the connections, but it was not a happy day at Saratoga. And I mean, what better, what better or more polarizing character to win the Whitney than Rick Dutrow, who I've always loved, but you know, that's just me. Oh yeah. Listen, he's yeah. He's, 
that that was i mean it was like you said it was it was a terrible day but it, it did end well for for some people you know and so it, it, was good. it ended yeah it ended well for me and so yeah it's been you know other than that i've had you know one frustrating losing day after another i mean i was i was the ray lou head bob in the eighth race today away from the pick six and so i mean you know those are not that wouldn't have been a huge score Right. I mean, it was paying like what, you know, three, four thousand. It's been good. It would have certainly been a, a weekend changer to an extent. But, you know, the prominent place like Saratoga is you lose those photos. You know, I won the Jim Dandy Day contest, but probably lost eight thousand worth of photos. Yeah. Right. I needed, <laughs> I needed Gunite. I needed Saudi crown and I needed the seven in the last race. You reverse all those decisions. You know, I'd make pretty good money. But that's the, yeah. that's the thing with Saratoga. Right. Oh, I mean, it's playing every it's day. Tough, it, it's tough. I had a big bet on Web Slinger on Saturday. It was oh. sickening. I, I was counting my money around the fourth turn. I'm like, oh, he's just going to roll off this turn. And, you know, Chad ends up fighting back and nailing me. It's just that that's how it goes. Those are the ups and the downs. Bobbled at the eighth pole. And I thought, you know, he's going to let him come back because I used I, I used a Web Slinger and program trading equally. And mm -hmm. Web Slinger, I thought, was a little bit better in the picks. So I was, you know, I was rooting for him when they were down, coming down the stretch together. I used to our bridge equally as well, but he didn't look like he was going to get there. And he bobbled a little bit. And I was like, damn it, he's going to let him come back. Because yeah. uh, it was a, that was a, it was an ugly stretch drive. That's what you get on those boggy turf courses. Yeah, that was, uh, that was not pretty. And then I couldn't even complain after the Maple Leaf Mel disaster. I was like, I'm not even going to, I stopped at Delaware Park Saturday on my way home. And it, it, when that happened with her, I mean, for a simulcast, for everybody to get quiet at a simulcast in a casino, I mean, it was like you could hear a pin drop in Delaware Park when that happened. Yeah, that was that was awful. I was watching it here at home, and I was watching it on my iPad, which somehow was ahead of the Fox broadcast. And I was watching it. My wife and daughter were sitting on the couch, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and my wife said, what happened? And I said, just watch. And I even really wanted to turn it off. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that was, that was, I, you know, I, again, I mean, your heart goes out to the connections and, and to Bill Parcells, of course, and the Melanie Giddings, who doesn't have, but, you know, a handful of horses. And this was a horse that people train their whole lives waiting for. But um, yeah, it's too bad. Unfortunately, though, it, it it's part of the game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You, it's, you sound cold and callous when you say that to people, but unfortunately it's part of it. It's an ugly, sad, tragic, you know, unfortunate part of it, but it is part of it. It's the same thing you see in people. I mean, I'm not into it, but people with NASCAR, I mean, people go flying around turns, they go into fires or, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a thing that happens in the sport and it's not, I mean, these animals going to backstretch one morning at Saratoga. I mean, they're taken care of better than any human you could ever imagine. I paid a thousand mean, dollars for a horse to get acupuncture. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, it's they're, just, they're you doing know, good. Um, it, it's, it's sad because in today's thing of media and social media and everything, anytime something bad happens, everybody wants something shut down or this and that. It's just, it's a thing that comes with the territory of racing. It's just, it's a sad part. It's a shame that it happened on the national stage like that. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, fingers crossed that, that the safety measures and things that are, are going right continue to so that we can see those minimized. Yeah. Hey, and shout out to Parcells. They said he was back at the sale already Monday uh, looking for more horses. He was walking around. So I, I give him credit. I, I don't know if I could have did that. I God bless him. I don't know. Did you guys see... The uh, I think it was a 30 for 30 or it may have been a football life when he and Belichick did it together. 
Oh, it's oh yeah, that was yeah. great. Oh, it's so it's so good. And my favorite part by far is when they're going to walk the two of them over to the Jets locker room, and Parcells realizing he's like, no, 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 we're not going. <laughs> over there. No, 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 we're, we're we're not going over there. I ran into Bill Parcells once in a restaurant in Dallas. I was in college when he was coaching the Cowboys, and uh, and my two friends with me, one was a Cowboys fan, one was a Giants fan. And they're like, come on, we got to go talk to him. We got to go talk to him. And, and I was like, ah, it's not my style. Not a, I'm not, they're like, no, 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 come on. You got to do it. You got to talk. I said, all right. I walked over. I said, coach, you know, big fans. I said, he and I are Lawrence Taylor fans, but he's a Cowboys fan. Will you take a picture with us? And he was like, eh, all right. And he got, he ended up being really nice. But, um, and then he almost broke my laptop by accident in the boxes in Saratoga a few years ago. Because I had it sitting out and he walked by and plowed right into it. And <laughs> I thought, you know, I, I called my father that night. I said, if Bill Parcells broke my laptop, it's not that bad. He said it would have been an honor. <laughs> no, the, the one you got to watch, Nick, is uh, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. That's, Phenomenal as well. That's yeah. the best one. It's a great one. Yeah. 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 I, I'm, I'm not going to complain, but I, I don't know if you feel this way. Are those boxes not one of the most uncomfortable things in the world? I mean, the way they have them, it's like the seats at Fenway. It's like the first time I sat in there, I'm like, this is the most uncomfortable thing ever. Oh, yeah. No, they well, and the and the funny the funny thing about Saratoga is that there's like zero comfortable seating at the place. Absolutely. Right? There's yeah. there is no comfortable place to watch a race live. And the and the thing is, inevitably, every year I go, I watch races on TV and I say to myself, you could have done this at home. You know, but, but then you're reminded at night and and walking around the track and stuff like that, how great it is. And and, you know, you go hang out with the Matisse's out back and they watch all the races on TV anyway. But, yeah, I mean, there is no comfortable seating whatsoever. I remember the first year I went, I was all excited because we had grandstand seats the first day. And then we were sitting in the turf terrace the second day. And I really knew very little about how the place was laid out. We sit down at our table in the, in the turf terrace. I looked at Philly Joe and I was like, this sucks. This isn't <laughs> at all. Like we can't see, you know, we're up in the top row. Yeah. I mean, it was nice because there was a little breeze in there and stuff. And then, but, and then I mean, you realize you, you either got to go out the real good spot. The real good spot is where the Matisse guys are hanging out and the Rotondos are out, out in the back there by the picnic tables. And, and or wherever PTF is, because he's got some, he's got some ornate setup that's just phenomenal. Oh yeah, 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 something ridiculous that you know nobody else could ever score other than PTF. Like that but spot above the Shake Shack. That was huge. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that, was... that you want to talk about it? Like he had a lounge. It was yeah. a full <laughs> lounge. Like I saw Naomi and and her husband like just chilling on a sofa and i'm like god this is this is the spot <laughs> jesus yeah no that's a good one um you know i mean we did the kind of of i don't remember i don't even know what it's called now we did the carousel a couple of years for the contest and then you walk out and you can watch the races front side above mm -hmm. the grandstand seat so i mean that's not bad i've heard that this this the stretch is very cool um it's nice it's nice by it's so, nice. At least yeah, comfortable. It's not bad. You have your own area to get a drink. They have a deli right there. I mean, listen, anytime you can get a $38 Reuben, I mean, I mean you got to be all in on that. I mean, that's just. who's yeah. Who's got it better than you? Who's got it better? My dad went up this year uh, and he goes, I'm going to get a turkey sandwich. We were sitting down in the four-star Dave bar. That's actually not a bad spot. Yeah, it's not table. bad. I sat there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't mind that. 
So he goes, I'm going upstairs. He comes back down. He's like, you know, there's not many places in the world where you can get a $36 turkey sale. But she's like, yeah, this is, you know, one of a kind. And and you could also lose hundreds to thousands of dollars. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a great spot. It's the best. Nick, uh, where can people find your picks, your thoughts, your opinions, uh, your beautiful voice? Where can they find you this week? Voice, you'll have to wait until hell. I mean, it would get the raid in Texas. You'll probably have to wait till next April for quarter horses unless you come here. But um, I don't see that changing anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, picks in the money podcast.com, twinspires.com as well for some other non Naira action. And uh, hey, the good thing is we're about what seven weeks away from morning line bashing becoming cachet again when Keeneland starts. <laughs> that I cannot wait. I have got the morning line maker for Keeneland in my sights. I've got tweets already primed. October 28th, we'll be there. Very exciting. Very, very exciting. Now it's uh I'm not, you know, I, I the Keeneland is is majestic. It really is. It's it doesn't matter that they pay me. I would say say it to anybody whether I was getting paid or not. I think I actually like the fall at Keeneland better. I, and I think I, I, I think the thing is that wait. I when I go there in April, I'm coming from nice weather because we don't have a you know, we don't have a harsh winter down here at all. But when I go in October and I've been getting my ass kicked all summer and and when you go there and it's in the 50s and it's the fall and there's all the colors and stuff. Yeah, it's just a it's a great place. I cannot wait. And I know we've talked about this, but. Tennessee, Kentucky, big weekend, final weekend at Keeneland. We're going to be up there. Can you pull some strings? Mike, Mike is even coming out of the cave. Maloney's <laughs> coming out of the cave to come join us. We got to we got to bring Nikki the boss in. If you can dream it, you can do it. Anything's possible. <laughs> well, Listen, nothing uh, goes better. Nothing calls. goes better when a day at Keeneland after you had about well, if I'm, I'm there, I'll have about 10 or 12 Miller lights. And then you get that burgoo going like after the sixth oh, race buddy. when you're. Oh, yeah. Especially <laughs> yeah. in the fall. Yeah. Before you hit the Mac machine, it's like, oh, you know what? Let me drown my sorrows and just, you know, a huge thing of stew. New new, new sponsor for Keeneland, Lipitor. Lipitor <laughs> and Zantac. Just going to be right. amazing. Uh for Nick, for Roberto, thank you very much for watching. We'll be back next week. Phil Steele on the show next week. Connor Newcomb talking locked on O's. Orioles baseball. So for War Criminal, Nick Tamro, Roberto, uh, we'll see you next week. Good luck at the races, folks.